0: Homework assignment was if we truly believe that this day is coming, is that right? What What should we be doing? Okay, what should we be doing? I need doings. Living holy. We should be setting an example, sharing the gospel, one in the back, memorizing scripture, praying, how should we pray? Without ceasing, what should we be praying? Families, relatives, salvation. Suddenly, our needs get pushed way to the bottom of the list. If we truly believe that the day of the Lord is approaching and that it could come very soon, my needs get pushed way to the bottom of the list because they're suddenly not nearly as important as someone's salvation, as someone's uh, real spiritual needs uh, with that. What else do we need to be doing? That's a pretty good list if we just do those things. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah. Working at telling others the good news. We can constantly be sharing. Uh, using God has given. That's right. Using whatever gift. Service is key. That's why it's part of our vision statement that we are intentional in relationships and service. Why? Because we believe this day is coming. Christ is. I mean, if you look at the, at the fourfold gospel of the Alliance, Christ is our Savior, Sanctifier, healer and coming king. If we truly believe he is coming king, then we will be intentional with our relationships and service. Those things really go together. And our intentionality is not to be nice. I mean, that's not really our purpose behind it. Our purpose is to bring people into the kingdom because this day is approaching. And today, tonight's lesson we start to see the worst. And we're not even at the worst yet, but we can start to see the worst part coming in these seven trumpets. Um, Because after the seven trumpets, we have seven bowls, and the bowls are worse than the trumpets, which are worse than the seals. Okay? And so we are, are pushing our way through. So we need to be mindful that if we truly believe that this day of the Lord is coming, and that it may be coming soon, then we will be mindful of how we live, and we will be doing these things uh, for that. So let's open with a word of prayer, and then, uh, and then we will get started on Revelation chapter 7 is where we are at tonight. Father, we are thankful that uh, you have led us in on this great mystery. Uh, Father, that, that your Son is coming, and that there is a gospel to be shared. And that, Father, we can look around us and see signs and wonders and and see that this day is approaching, and in many respects, it's approaching quickly. Uh, Father, we know uh, that you are a God who is a God of mercy and a God of grace, but judgment is coming. So, Father, make us diligent. Make us diligent in the work of your ministry. Uh, Make us intentional with the people around us that are lost. Uh, Father, make us intentional with serving those that need to know. Give us opportunities to share. Give us courage to share. Give us the words to share. Your word has promised us that if we get in those situations where we don't know exactly what to say, your spirit will take over and give us those words. Give us faith to believe that. And uh, we pray all that uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Cold water, worst thing for a speaker but it's better than no water. <coughs> Revelation chapter 7. No, if I chew gum, my wife will tell you my attitude changes and I get a little surly. Yeah. When I, when I chomp gum, I, I get a little, yeah, a little overconfident is what she uh, says. <coughs> it doesn't matter what brand, <coughs> if I chew gum, <laughs> yeah. If I chew gum and play sports, it's just like off the charts. Um, here we are, chapter seven. We need to get into this. Uh, and uh, what we, we've come through these seals, and we, we came through the sixth seal, and the vision is now continuing, and, uh, but we, we changed the scene just a little bit um, because it says that uh, <clears throat> it says after this is how chapter 7 starts. So after the six seals, before the seventh seal is open, remember we have this book, um, or this scroll, and the scroll is sealed with seven different seals signifying the importance of the scroll, and uh, we can't open it to see what is in the scroll until all the seals are broken. And so there is no one worthy in heaven to break the seals, to open the seals, Except the lamb. The lamb appeared and John saw the lamb and said, you know, worthy is the lamb. And so Jesus, being the lamb, is the only one worthy to open the seals. And so he begins opening them. And supernatural things happen after each seal is broken or open or untied, however they did it. And so we see the first four were four horsemen. And then the, 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 the fifth seal was what? I have to look because it just escaped me. The martyred remnant. Okay, there were those those souls under the altar that were crying out for God to, you know, how long is this going to, ha- to take place? How long are we going to wait for, for this to happen, for the scroll to open and everything to begin uh, to bring about the end? And then the sixth seal was what? Massive earthquake, massive earthquake. I mean, that, that ripped the, right to the core of the earth and, and affected the heavens. I mean, the, everything was starting to just kind of Rumble, shake, and fall apart. Um, and so now after this, okay, we're ready for the seventh seal to be open, but there's a little interlude here. He says after this, after the six seals were opened, uh, th- this book, the, the plan for the final days, remains unopened because we need one more seal. But John sees something else happening before the final seal is open, okay? And what he sees is 144,000 okay, uh, is is what he is looking. He says, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming from the east. Okay, so we have four uh, angels holding back the four corners of the earth. We have another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. So he was carrying the seal, uh, whatever that That was, the stamp or whatever, um, he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed being 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Okay, so we have these four angels holding back the wind and they were given power to harm. Okay, so these angels are are right now, they're just being held back until it's time for them to go. And they're holding back the four winds, and then we have one angel coming in from the east uh, with the seal of God. Now, we don't know who these angels are. There's there's not really enough there to tell us who they are, who they might be. It's just a messenger, a servant, uh, one of the angelic beings that, that God used for this purpose. And the message was not yet. That's what he told the four, not Yet. And so they couldn't do anything until they got the word go. And then they could move. Then they could set out. Um, and what was it that they were waiting for? What had to happen first? What did he say I, I need to do first? I had to place this seal on the foreheads of the servants of God, on the believers, okay? On the believers of God, the, the ones who were, were serving who were following after God. Now, so that bids a question. Who are these 144,000? Now, if you were a Mormon, they thought that it was them, that the 144,000 was the Mormon church. Until they reached 144,001 member, then they had a dilemma. I thought it was the Mormons. Is it the Jehovah Witness? I could be wrong. Let's go with the JW since that's all in... Okay, they thought they were the 144,000. Until they reached 144,001, then they had an issue. Then they, to make tears then they started making tears. And, and so anyhow, they, we have to understand that this number, as so many numbers in Revelation and throughout the Bible are, is not a literal number it is a symbolic number so the question now is what is it symbolic of well let me give you just a quick little rundown on some of the numbers of revelation so that and actually numbers of the bible that we can begin to get an understanding of the symbolism behind the numbers now what I'm about to tell you is not biblical out of scripture. I can't go to a verse and say the number three means because in Romans chapter four, that doesn't exist. So what we, what, what we come to is logic and reason. And logic and reason tells us that these numbers symbolize these things, okay? And if you begin to plug this meaning into the numbers, you can begin to understand and it does make sense. Um, but it's not hard and fast, okay? So some of, the, some of the numbers, the symbolic numbers, where number three is a symbolic number. You see three a lot in Scripture. What do you think three symbolizes? Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. It, it is a divine number, and it represents divine things, godly things like the Trinity, Okay? If you've taken the Truth Project, you know that they talk about um, the divine imprint, that there are so many things in our society in our social order that is really in threes. Um, and you can see it in the family. The family the well, let's start with the Trinity, that's the first, and then that imprint is placed on so many things in society. You have the Father, the son and the Holy Spirit. In the family, you have the husband and the wife and the children. Okay, um, even in our government, you have the the president, the the Congress, Senate, and judicial. Okay, the three branches of government. There, there's there's three in just about everything. After you've gone through the Truth Project, you begin to see things in three. Even within the church, you have who's the head? Christ. Church leaders congregation okay you can break that down too to where you have pastors elders church you you begin to see the the divine imprint this three which is a a divine godly number then we have four what do you think four represents huh four gospels could be their significance to four it came to represent things of the world, okay? Not necessarily in a bad light, not worldly things, but things of the world. What four directions can you possibly go? North, south, east, west. These four angels were holding back what? The four corners of the world. Um, they, you know, so the, when you look at the number four, it tends to be a uh, things of the world. Uh, ten. Ten. Ten is a complete number of man, okay? Uh, Again, it it is is, uh, a number. It talks about the fullness, the power. Ten is a complete, full number, okay? Man has how many fingers, how many toes? Ten. Uh, Ten fingers, ten toes. You can look and and see that, that ten a lot of times represents completeness in man. Okay? Twelve. You have 12 months of the year. Twelve disciples, 12 tribes. What would 12 kind of represent? What happens if you take the number three, all things divine, and you take the number four, all things of the world, and multiply them? What do you get? So if you take all the things of God and you multiply it times all the things of the world, you get 12, which would be, came to represent divine number as it interacts with the world, okay? So as God interacts with the world, we begin to see the number 12. So you have the 12 tribes because God interacted with the nation of Israel. You see God interacting in the New Testament with the development of the church and 12 apostles, okay? So 12 uh, tends to be that that number of uh, Representing the divine as it interacts with the world. And it usually is representative of believers. Twelve tribes, twelve apostles, that sort of thing. Uh, the number of thousand. This came to represent the complete, the ultimate completeness of God interacting in the fullness of man. Remember what I said about holy, holy, holy? Anytime something is repeated three times, it's done for emphasis, and it is the ultimate. In holy ten times ten times ten is thousand. So it's the ultimate completeness of man's interaction with God, with the world. Okay, or God's interaction with the world. So ten times three, so you have a thousand. Now twelve thousand. This is the number thousand, which represents ultimate divine completeness. Multiplied by the number 12, which was symbolic of organized believers, 10 tribes, 10 or 12 tribes, 12 apostles. So if you have God's ultimate interaction with man times the representation of biblical man or the believers, you have 12,000. Okay, now, yes, 12,000, it's the number 1,000 which represents the ultimate divine completeness okay of the completeness of God interacting with man at a complete level multiplied by the number 12 which was symbolic of organized believers 12 tribes, 12 apostles okay that's 12,000 now 144 12 times 12, okay, if it is 12 multiplied by itself, 12 times 12 for emphasis is 144, and then multiplied by the number for ultimate completeness through God, this number is not in any way literal, but simply represents the complete group of believers, the ultimate group of believers. Twelve group of believers, times twelve for emphasis, times a thousand the complete interaction, hundred forty-four thousand. Now again, this is logic and reason, not biblical. There could be errors in it, there could be misunderstanding in it, but it makes sense um, to me. All right, doesn't have to necessarily make sense to you. You may disagree with it. Seven is not. I just didn't include it. Seven is also a a godly number. But I was working to get to the 144,000. That's what we were getting to. (coughs) So who are the 144,000? If you are a pre-tribulationalist, if you are pre-trib saying that the church is going to be raptured prior to the beginning of the tribulation, then you would say that this 144,000 is representative of the Jewish remnant, the Jews that are left, because the church is already gone, okay? Now, why do I have a hard time with that? Let me tell you, because I'm post-trib. <laughs> if you look at this list, okay, the, the, they list tribe of Judah, tribe of Reuben, Gad, Asher. There's 12,000 from each of these tribes, This is not a good representation of the nation of Israel, this list. It's the only time this list ever appears in Scripture. You won't find this exact list anywhere else. And let me tell you some of the little idiosyncrasies within this list. Um, the tribe of Levi is included in this list, but they're not included in the list at the end of Genesis when they divided up the kingdom. Do you know why? They were priests. They were not given land. They were given portions within each of the tribes. But here, they are counted. Okay? So that doesn't go with the list of the tribes of Israel or the the list the way they've listed them uh, previously. So the tribe of Levi did not get an inheritance. They were priests, but yet they're included here. The tribe of Joseph... Okay, Joseph's name does not appear in the list at the end of Genesis when they divided up the kingdom. Do you know why? His two sons, he got a double portion. Manasseh and Ephraim each got a piece of the land. Now if you look at this list, Manasseh is included and Joseph is included. Ephraim is not included. And neither is Dan. OK? So if you are reading through this revelation that John writes, and you've traced your lineage as a Jew, and lineage was incredibly important. You, every Jew, every good Jew knew which tribe they were from. And you were from the tribe of Dan or Ephraim, what do you think about this? <laughs> we're out. We're not included. Nowhere are we listed in here. And so the thinking then is, this is not a list of Jewish remnant. This is a representation, 144,000, of God's chosen, uh, of not just Israel, but it is a full number of God's servants, the church. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 says that we are all, as believers, sons of Abraham. Even though we can't trace our lineage back to any of the 12 tribes, we are all considered within the New Testament sons of Abraham. Our spiritual lineage goes back to Abraham, back through Jacob, Isaac, back through to Abraham. And so this representation, what John is seeing and writing here, from a post-tribulational view, is the church being sealed at the midway point of the tribulation in order to be protected from God's wrath. Just like God did in the Passover when he said, put the blood on the door, door frames, on the doorposts." Then when the angel of death passes over, it will, you will be protected. You will be spared from the angel of death. So this seal that was going to be placed on these, this number, these people, these servants of God... The seal was going to protect them from the coming wrath, from once the seventh seal was opened. So God is saying, I needed to, He needs to mark the believers with this seal so that the wrath does not pour out on them. So, in in this way of thinking, verses five through eight represent a cross section of the larger number represented in nine. Yes. Yeah, could very well be. Yes. <clears throat> because then you see uh, this other great multitude. <coughs> mm hmm. What yeah, did Jewish friends say that this doesn't apply to them? They have special compensation. Based on what? I mean, God's people, for God's chosen, regardless of what we've done, God's always forgiven. Right. Have you ever heard that? No. I mean, I, not that it's not that they don't believe that. I just wonder where they, scripturally, where they would get that as um, to you know they are God's protected, God's chosen, God's yeah. Well, they would say none of the New Testament applies to them, um, so Revelation would be lumped into that because for the Jew. The Scripture, the Holy Scripture stops at Malachi, and the New Testament doesn't apply uh, at all. So he sees this hundred that were numbered, 144,000, that were going to be sealed, protected from God's wrath. Um, And then he looks and says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, too numerous to count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, he said, I, these are the ones that have come out of the great tribulation, is what he says. I answered, uh, let me go on to 13. Then one of the elders asked me, these in the white robes, who are they? Who is this great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language? He says, and, and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are, the, are, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the ones that have come out of the Great Tribulation. They either died during the Tribulation and are now in God's presence or died somehow, either during uh, you know, that first three and a half years before the seal was put. Uh, these were believers that would have died in the Tribulation. Too numerous to count. Um, all the believers up to that point, too numerous to count as he looked upon them. Um, and so what John is really getting in this is a picture of the church in heaven. Uh, every nation, tribe, people, language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb worshiping. And so he's getting this, this, this picture of what heaven is like with all the believers assembled. Um, and he says these are the ones that came out of the tribulation at this point um, so far. Uh, and so, what we have is two pictures of the church. The 144,000 is the picture of the church on earth, okay, being sealed, about to go through the tribulation. The ones then the picture, the great multitude, is the picture of church in heaven, worshiping, having gone through. Um, and soon, these two parts of the bride are going to be joined together with the groom. That's what we're getting to. That's what we're moving toward: uh, the church in heaven and the church on earth being brought together uh, as one okay so he gets this interlude this little has to happen before the seventh seal can be broken because it's important that this that the believers that are left on earth at this midway point in the tribulation are sealed they are protected um, that they have the seal of god upon them that will protect them uh, from what is about to happen okay so we see in uh We see in, I think I flipped my page wrong here, Um, with the seven trumpets is where we're going, the seventh seal. Uh, When he opened the seventh seal in chapter 8, verse 1, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So here we have the seventh seal is going to be open. Remember, there were supernatural occurrences after every seal. And so here, the seal was open, and what was the first thing that happened? Silence. For half an hour. Now, there's no time in heaven, but John was still working off of a timetable, and so half an hour, uh, there was silence. Uh, up until now, there had been a lot of noise in heaven. There was rumblings, there was thunder, there was multitudes singing, there were tens of tens of thousands of thousands of angels uh, praising God and worshiping Him, and so it, it was noisy. Um, up there. In fact, the ones that were constantly singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. Holy, Holy, Holy. You know, it was just a, a, a rumble around. And now, seventh seal, and boom silence for half an hour. Have any of you ever sat in silence for half an hour? You will, because it's your homework assignment. <laughs> it's a long time. Silence is actually one of the spiritual disciplines. Silence and solitude, that there, there needs to be times that we get away and we are silent, that all outside noise is shut off and we focus upon God. Now, I don't know what they were focusing on here. Um, I mean, imagine that John has is, 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 you know, stepped into this doorway and all of these events have been taking place in front of him and suddenly... And you got to wonder, he doesn't have the, the privilege we have of knowing it was for 30 minutes, knowing it was for half an hour. He's got to wonder, how long is this going on? Uh, John knew it was 30 minutes. John knew it was a half hour. Yeah, he said it was a half hour. Now, exactly 30 minutes? I don't know. He says a half hour. Well, technically, the Holy Spirit said a half hour. Holy Spirit said a half hour, leading John to, as, as he writes this out right overseeing it so he's watching this and suddenly for what had to feel like a very long time there was nothing and i gotta wonder what was going through john's mind what was the anticipation of what what, what, you you know all of a sudden everything just stops I think everything needed that. Everyone needed to, and what really, they needed to stop and reflect on what was about to happen. We still, you know, there, there are seven trumpets. I mean, he kind of saw some things that were starting to happen now as this 30 minutes winds down. And, and the anticipation, the fear, the worry, the, 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 the wonder. I think everything, this is kind of the calm before the storm. And, and when this seventh seal was broken or, or opened, uh, then seven angels were given a trumpet. <clears throat> there were the prayer of the saints that went up before God with the incense, um, which is symbolic of God hearing the prayers of His church. Uh, in this incredible time of suffering, the prayers of God's people were being lifted up, um, pre-trib or post-trib. If the prayers of God's people were being lifted up, where's the church? still on the earth praying okay because if the church was gone then they don't need to be lifted up we're right there with him they be the that got saved the how'd they get saved who witnessed get saved in the tribulation, yeah yeah there will be come, people come to know the Lord during the tribulation but how will they be if the church is gone and the Holy Spirit resides where then the Holy Spirit went to, so we're kind of leaning towards, could he do it? Yeah, God can do anything. Um, I'm not I'm not limiting God in that. But, it, but also, and, and this is not exact science for any of us, but prayers lifted up can, can just mean offering. It wouldn't have to be position to another position. From one position to another. No, just, you're just praying. You're just praying, right. Right. Um, them, yeah I'll, I'll take that um and so we have this seven angels given the trumpets prayers being lifted up then the angel takes this censer of incense fills it full of fire and hurls it at the earth um, and when it crashes into the earth i don't know how big it was but it crashes and makes an incredible impact um and at this point the judgment of god is starting Uh, The judgment of God is starting. The angels begin sounding their trumpets one at a time. Uh, Each trumpet is a plague upon the earth. And like the seals, there are supernatural events that follow. It is interesting that trumpets one through four are natural catastrophes that happen to nature, happen to the earth. Trumpets five, six, and seven are direct judgment on men. Um, So after the four, it gets really bad. Um, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So let's walk through these seven trumpets, see what it is that happens, uh, and, and what, uh, what is going to take place. Trumpet number one, chapter 8, verse 7. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Okay, so trumpet sounds, and there's hail and fire falling from heaven. And what does it do? It destroys a third of, third of what? A third of the natural earth. The green grass, the trees um, are all burned up. Uh, a third of the earth was burned up. Trees, uh, grass, vegetation of, of all kinds, a third of it is just gone. What kind of effect does that have on people? There's going to be a shortage of food because a third of those trees were fruit trees and edible. Didn't kill people at this point, but there's going to be, with hunger and starvation, a third of the grass, there's going to be, yeah, the whole oxygen idea of, you know, and the smoke, and, you know, that's going to have great effects on the air quality. How do you figure the fire it affects nature not natural as in rain or snow or but it's catastrophic to nature is is what I meant by that okay so livestock and all the grass-eating animals plant-eating animals are going to be affected man's going to be affected um, because a third of that type of food supply is gone uh, with that Okay, so we have this firestorm uh, with trumpet number one. The second trumpet, the second angel sounded his trumpet in verse 8, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Okay, what do we have happening here? How do you explain a fire mountain? Meteor. Meteorite, possibly, um, is going to to come and crash into the sea. This fire mountain thrown into the sea, it could be a a possibility of a meteorite. Um, It could be sudden, boom, or with all the technology today, what do we tend to do? We tend to see that coming from way out there. With all the telescopes and technology, and it really people could have been could be tracking it we don 't know the time frame for any of these. Uh, how long between the first and second trumpet? how long did it take for a third of all the vegetation to burn up before the second trumpet sounded? How long before after the trumpet sounded did this meteor or mountain of fire crash into the earth uh, into the sea <clears throat> we don 't know a time frame, so it could have been sudden just down or it could be something that God is giving as a warning here it comes and they're tracking it and watching it and and trying to prepare for this this catastrophe so here it is it hits a sea it hits the sea and a third of the sea becomes blood a third of the sea creatures die and a third of the ships are destroyed how does this affect the earth mankind Shipping, food, again, our food supply just got hit. We lost a third of all the f- uh, food-bearing vegetation. Now we lost a third of all the sea creatures. Um, the price at Red Lobster just skyrocketed, okay? You're not affording, uh, being able to afford Sunday lunch at Red Lobster anymore. Huh? Bankruptcy. Because um, a third of all the sea creatures are just gone. They're wiped out. And a third of all the ships... Boats that are on the sea. So you've got now entire communities that, that build their uh, industry off the fishing industry, off of their port cities. Uh, a third of that is just completely wiped out and gone on top of all the vegetation that's wiped out. Okay. So trumpet one, trumpet two are slowly starting to really affect man. But we haven't hit man yet. Trumpet three in verse 10, the third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Okay, so now we have this fire star, could be another meteor, could be, you know, we don't know. He's trying to describe what it is he's seeing, Um, but this thing hits a third of the rivers and uh, a third of the rivers and a third of the springs and greatly affects the water supply so the fresh water okay the sea salt water third of it wiped out now we've wiped a third of the fresh water out which again is going to hit hit man uh, very seriously with the water supply this star was called wormwood and it really means bitter that's what the word means uh, that it makes something bitter. And it suggests uh, death and poisoning, that, that a third of the water supply, fresh water supply, became poisoned. And that's why you have many who, people dying because of the contaminated water. Okay, so now men are really starting to be affected by this, not hit directly, but as they drink the water from the contaminated water supply, uh, they are dying. So a third of the vegetation... A third of the sea creatures, a third of the ships, uh, a third of the rivers and and springs, uh, many people dying because of the contaminated water. Again, we don't have a timetable for how long this is lasting, how long it occurs. Um, But the fourth trumpet in verse 12. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Okay, so now we have a third of the sun, moon, and stars darkened. A third of the day and night had no light. And eight hours a day, it was pitch black. Um, Due to daylight savings time, we can't do it, but I was wanting to turn this pitch black in here, but there's too much daylight coming through windows and things to do it. Um, But if you literally turned off the sun... And the moon could not reflect, and none of the stars were, were shining for eight hours, and it was pitch black. Have you ever been in pitch blackness? I mean, where you... Yeah. Okay, see, that that's not even close to pitch black. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you literally, I mean, hand right here, and you can't see it. Eight hours. Uh, that's worse than 30 minutes of... Complete silence. Eight hours of darkness. And the rest of the time is dimmed because a third of the sun is struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars. But then eight hours a day, it's all turned completely up. So the light is only operating on 66% power, two-thirds power um, with that. And that would impact, that would impact growing. That would impact, I was if it would impact like the tides Mm-hmm. Very much with the moon and the stars impacting the tide. So every, everything environmentally is beginning to t- dysfunction. Um, it would be colder. I think the temperature would, would drop um, because the sun is not as bright and it's turned off uh, for eight hours. Okay. So we hit this fourth and now suddenly there is, uh, as I watched in verse 13, as I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Whoa, whoa. Woe, three times woe, what does that mean? It's important. important. This is is the ultimate of woe, okay? Woe, woe, woe. To the inhabitants of the earth, because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels, it's about to get worse, okay? Up to now, it was bad. Now the, angel, the, the eagle's flying over. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, that's really all he says. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He says that to the inhabitants of the earth, okay, because of the trumpet blast. So what is about to happen is even more severe and directed to man. And as we read through them, we will see that they are demonic in nature. Okay, so now the demons are getting involved in the judgment, um, with this. So, woe number one, trumpet number five, chapter nine, verses one to twelve. It also takes longer to describe what happens in these last three. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss, or the pit. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it, Begin to try to get this picture in your mind. Like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. Black smoke, white smoke, we don't know. Wait. Wait for it. Um, The smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. Star falling from heaven, what could this be? Okay, turn, this is one explanation. Uh, Turn to Ezekiel, Old Testament, after Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Eh, We'll go with verse 11, because there's no real good break between 11 and 12. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, toaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were the on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Who are we talking about? Satan. Satan. Lucifer. The angel, archangel Lucifer, who was... Adorned brilliantly with all of these precious stones, um, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Many believe that Lucifer was the uh, worship director, if you will, of heaven. He led the angels in worship, um, and he was close to the throne, always around the throne of God, bringing worship uh, to him, and adorned in incredible uh, beauty, uh, bling to the nth degree. Okay? Okay. Verse 16, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuary. So I made a fire come out from you and it consumed you, and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. Now, this is Ezekiel talking about the king of Tyre, but it has a double uh, fulfillment or a double implication in that it's also describing Satan. And here Satan is hurled to the earth uh, in this. And so what, what John may very well be seeing when this fifth trumpet is this star falling from heaven, he could be getting a glimpse of Satan being cast down uh, to heaven. Now, we know that Satan has access to heaven. Uh, While he roams the earth uh, looking for those whom he can devour, uh, he can go back and forth between heaven and and the earth. He can stand before God, and we know that he does. We read the book of Job. He's there arguing with God over Job's faithfulness, and he does that with each of us. He can go before God and argue, you know, that Harris guy, let me do this to him and see if he remains faithful, okay? He, and, and constantly goes up and, and uh, belittles us to God, and, and Jesus defends us, and God will not allow anything to come to us that he knows we can't handle. Um, And so here Satan is going back and forth. Maybe at this point he is cast out and he doesn't have access to heaven anymore. At this point, God's fed up and said, you're done, you're out, go. And so when he falls, when he comes, he opens the pit. He's given permission to open the pit. And we can read in verse three that a host of demonic locusts attack men like scorpions with the sting of a scorpion. They, they're going around uh, and attacking. Uh, they come from the abyss, which is this uh, where the demons live, um, also connected with Hades and Sheol, which we had talked about earlier with our timeline. Um, they were told not to destroy the grass. thought the grass was already destroyed. A third of it. They weren't allowed to touch the other two-thirds. Okay, don't do any more to the grass. Um, Has significance somehow. Um, God is sovereign is the lesson we can learn in this. What God says goes. He destroyed a third. You're not allowed to do anything else. And so he is calling the shots. Even as Satan is doing what Satan wants to do, he's still under the authority of God. And that is important for us to remember. That today... Satan still, has as much power as he has, he is still under the authority of God. He's not more powerful than God. And so greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit in you is more powerful than the devil roaming the earth. Okay? And so we can conquer. We can overcome. We have that promise that there is power beyond our human abilities overcome the onslaught of the enemy, Uh, the the tricks and the the cunning and the craftiness of the devil. So God is sovereign. Only those not sealed, the unbelievers, but they said, don't kill them. You can torture them for five months. Now, why five months? Five was not one of those, you know, revelation numbers we kind of toyed with and played around with a little bit. Why five months? Anyone know the life cycle of a locust? Life spans three to five months. Um, I don't know if there's connection to that, but I looked it up. I said, how long does a locust live? Three to five months. So God has given them power for five months. I don't know if there's any connection whatsoever. Just found it interesting. Um, so for five months, they, they can, can torture but not kill. To the point of men are going to seek death, but death is going to elude them. How horrible is that? <clears throat> I've been sick with the flu before, where I've said, Lord, just take me now. Okay? Have you been there? You just felt so bad with the flu. Stomach and knots. Lord, just end it now. Okay, that's nothing like this with, for the flu. Just end it now. But here, locusts torturing. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go back to the birth pain things. I have no re- no understanding of that. Um, now, listen to what these locusts look like. Verse seven, the locusts look like horses prepared for battle. OK, so these are armored horses. These are locusts that look like horses. On their heads, and again, this is John's best description. He's trying to explain what these beasts look like, what these locusts look like. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like woman's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. I knew a girl like that one. They They had, it was just too easy. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. Okay, so here the, this this horse-like creature with a face of a, of a man with women's hair, teeth of a lion, armored with with breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. Have you ever been next to like a, a, not just two or three horses, but like a, a you know a whole group, a whole herd of horses, just running past, and the the sound of their their hoofbeats, thundering of many horses and chariots running into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, which means destroyer the leader of the demons in the abyss. His name is Destroyer. And they're sent out to go. Torture men, but don't kill them. For five months, this is going to go on. You, you hope you get stung you know, near the end of that. <laughs> not at the beginning. And, and this is probably repeated, too. Just to the point of death. And you're not going to be able to hide. Okay, so this trumpet number five. Now, chapter 9, verse 13, trumpet number six. The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. Okay, so here we have this, now the sixth trumpet blast, and four angels who had been bound up to this time. The good angel or bad angel? Evil angel. Got to be evil, because you never bind a holy angel. There was no reason to. How evil does an angel an evil angel, a demon have to be for God to bind him and not let him do anything until this appointed time. Okay? Yeah, Satan is roaming free. All the other... This one is worse. These four are worse than that. The evilness that comes from these four. God says, uh-uh. i got to hold them back. i got to bind them. They're not allowed to do anything until this day Month, year, till this time, they, they would have been angels that yeah fell from heaven and followed Satan. In that, um, these four are not mentioned anywhere else, uh, <clears throat> and they're sent out to destroy a third of the human population. Okay, destroy a third of mankind, kill a third of mankind. Now, I don't know the significance of a third every time. I I, I don't know. Um, Someone's probably starting to think of that question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, in all the readings, all the studies, no one ever tackled why a third of all of that. Um, but destroy a third of, of the human population. Now, when else? Do you remember back recently when another portion of mankind was destroyed? Mm-hmm. Fourth seal. The fourth seal killed a third at that point, or a fourth at that point, a fourth at that point. A fourth of mankind was killed. So we determined back then there were seven billion people on the Earth right now, okay, or at least in 2008 when those numbers came out. Seven billion. The fourth seal killed 1.75, or one and three-quarter billion people, leaving five and a quarter billion people on the Earth when the rest of the seals and the trumpets started going. There's 5.25 billion. A third of the 5.25 is another 1.75 billion. Three and a half billion, which is half of the Earth's population, is destroyed during the fourth seal and the sixth trumpet. A half of the human population one out of two are gone that's a lot i mean that's devastation that that is catastrophic that is something this world has never seen since the flood when only eight were spared 200 million mounted troops a demonic cavalry And their description in verse 17. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with Which they inflict injury. So the tails are snakes. So they're inflicting injury in both ends. Killing out of the front end, hurting, harming out of the back end. The rest of mankind that were not killed, now listen to this, uh, as if all of this weren't bad enough. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Total destruction, devastation, half of the world's population wiped out. The sea, the vegetation, gone, destroyed, earthquakes, rumblings, uh, still, hard heart still hard hearts, still did not turn. They were still unrepentant, continued on as they had before. That's pure evil. That's pure evil. Now, seventh trumpet. We're a long ways away. We're a whole chapter and a half from the seventh trumpet. We're going to cover those next week because we're going to look at several more players begin to enter in to what is now happening. We see in chapter 10 that there's an angel and a little scroll that comes up. Then there are two witnesses that show up. And then the seventh trumpet is blasted. And then we see a woman and a dragon appear. And so next week, we are going to, uh, we're gonna walk all the way through the, that. And then in chapter 13, we see that there's a beast out of the sea. So we're gonna begin looking at these new characters that arrive on the scene. That, that, that kind of encompass the seventh trumpet and what is going to happen, okay? So here is your homework. What? Sorry, it's 1115. 1115, chapter 1115 is the seventh trumpet, not 1015, thank you. Okay, here's your homework. I want you to sit in silence for 30 minutes or as long as you can. And not just for the art of sitting there, but I need you then with a pad of paper and a pen or pencil, write out your thoughts during the 30 minutes. As you are, okay, I need you to pray before this. It's not just sit and go. It's, you need to pray. Okay, pray that, that you know, clear your mind. Pray. That, that God uses this 30 minutes, speaks to you this 30 minutes, and I want you to take 30 minutes of complete and utter silence. You can leave the lights on. I'm not going to ask for darkness. Okay, But if darkness helps you, then you can't write in the dark. Um, I want you then to record what is it that's what is going through your mind. You will find good things coming in, and you will find bad things coming in. Okay, Understand that there is a battle going on, and it is a battle of ideas. It is a battle of our mind. Romans chapter 12. Do not conform any longer to the image of this world, but be conformed by the renewing of your mind, because this is where the battle takes place, in our ideas. And so this discipline of sitting down and allowing God to speak and show us the good and the evil that really resides within us, and begin to see where, where is my mind going, and where does it need to go? Where does God want to direct it? Yeah. I wonder if you're, you know, there's people that, like, when you got to the end and they still, seems like they shook their fist to God or something, they still didn't repent. Like, I wonder how many people, you think people, I mean, you know, like, did they attribute all that to God? Like, I think it's sometimes all the natural disasters. I think there was enough stuff here that they would know it wasn't just natural disaster. Yeah. And the fact that people that were going to church didn't have that effect. I mean, the, the ones who were sealed weren't touched by any of this that was going on. So, well. Would it be okay to take your 30 minutes like taking a walk? Sure. Down the um, if you can have silence... If you can have silence i because I think a lot of it is if we, if we take the walk, we will be distracted um, because it's not only thirty minutes of silence, it's thirty minutes of doing nothing i'm not I'm staring at a wall or a pad of paper um, with that and and truly focusing upon who God is in that midst and what it is he's wanting to do because I think that's what happened in that thirty minutes, everything. I mean, you know, if, if a lot's going on and suddenly something stops, you turn and look at the leader, do you not? What's happening next? And I think in that 30 minutes of silence, everything focused towards the throne. And, and that's what we need to be able to do in that. Okay? Uh, through 14. We're going to go into 14. I don't know that we'll get all the way through 14, but... And then we have the seven bowls after that. That gets really bad, as if this wasn't bad enough, okay? Let me pray for you. Father, we are thankful again that you are a God of truth, that you have seen fit to give us your truth. Father, you've seen fit to give us a glimpse of the end, of this day of the Lord, of this coming of, your, of our Savior, of your Son. Father, I pray that we would ready our own hearts that we would not be caught unawares, that we would not be caught off guard when, when the events begin to happen and that things begin to unfold. And Father, that we would be diligent and that we would gain a sense of urgency in our own lives for this day. Father, I pray for protection for those 30 minutes that you would truly speak, that we would hear from you, I don't even know what we might hear. But Father, each of us need to get a glimpse of what you are asking of us, what you are going to do. Reveal yourself to us, fresh and new. Father, that this may become a discipline we take on on a regular basis. Father, speak. And I pray that your servants are listening that we would hear what the Spirit says. In Jesus' name, amen.